Yeah, this is my life. I'm done trying to convince people I'm real. Welcome to the Road to the Olympic Trials podcast presented by the Rambling Runner Podcast Network. This is an inside look into the training of eight of America's top marathoners as they get ready for the Olympic Trials Marathon in February 2020. In this episode is with John Ranieri. Actually, we recorded two parts of this episode. We recorded the first intro uh, episode, which, I've, which I'm doing for all the guests. Uh, basically, the first eight episodes are kind of intro episodes for all of them. We recorded that a couple weeks ago and then re-recorded a new section in the beginning after John competed in the Boilermaker 15K last weekend. So, the first 10 minutes or so are recapping how the Boilermaker went, and then we dive into the original interview. I think you're going to love it. John is a great guy, a very talented runner, and a coach with McCurdy Trained. So I hope you like this episode with John Ranieri. Hey, John. Thanks for hopping on the call. Thanks, Matt. Um, thanks for having me on again. I appreciate it. No, I appreciate it too. And, you know, we, I did these intro episodes with everybody, recorded them a couple weeks out, but I wanted to touch base with you today because, hey, you just ran the Boilermaker 15K, which is a huge race. We'll get yes, into sir. what exactly it is in a second. And uh, yeah, so we're just like, we're plopping this on to the top of your first episode just to give people a heads up like, hey, man, not only do we need intro into John, but he's doing stuff and we got to keep it, keep abreast of the situation. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, so let's talk about the Boilermaker 15K because it's simultaneously a really big race for a lot of people and yet at the same time a race that isn't as well known as some of his contemporaries. Yes, yes, yeah. It's, it's, like, it's actually really just like a local race at heart, but it's, it's absolutely massive. I think 15,000 people ran yesterday. The elite field is always on point and just it pretty much brings the whole community together in uh, Utica, New York, for sure. Yeah, which is also not the most accessible location. Uh, no, no, you know, I mean, you got to fly into Syracuse. But what was nice was I fly in the White Plains, New York, and, and I kind of drove up. I took my time. You know, I'm kind of spending a week out in the Northeast. Right, and for you, flying into White Plains is almost probably the, the, the airport closest to your, your house when you lived in Connecticut, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, like if you like look at Utica on a map, it's pretty much smack dab in the middle of New York State. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we used to play over there all the time when I played college basketball because I played in like a, a low level D3 league that was based out of New York. And there was a lot of drives into that area. And it was like, man, you are passing a lot of farmland to get to, to, get to oh, Utica. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. So for let's sure. talk. let's talk about the race, because how does a race like that draw such an elite field year after year just like what's the logistics for a race you know what do they do to to attract a field like that and to kind of keep people coming back year after year well you know i'm sure the first like i'm sure the first five or six years they had it they didn't really have much of an elite field i mean it's an old race but you know as as kind of like word got around okay like you know prize money's getting a bit better fast people are running here i think it has just gotten bigger and bigger every year so like in terms of just drawing an elite field, I think people just look at results from the prior year and the prior years. Um, I think what a big draw for the Americans is that uh, the prize money is five deep and the competition is usually pretty good. So you can get a feel of kind of where you are in your season. So is it five deep for the American field or five deep overall prize money perspective? So like it's five deep for the American field, but then it's like I think it's like top ten overall, and then they like they do some masters money. But you know, I think kind of more importantly is like, I mean, I went there to face some good competition. You know, kind of like to gauge myself where I was. You know, what kind of day I would have. You know, and I mean, like it really like didn't like disappoint. I mean, it was a good field this year again. You know, like it wasn't a shocker to me. Um, you know, just really like world class guys, um, extremely good Americans that are world class as well. So it was it was just a really fun experience. So let's talk about the course. So 15K is not a traditional distance for a lot of people. So it's roughly 9.3, 9.4 miles. Um, you hadn't run this race before, but your coach, James McCurdy, is very familiar with this course and has a lot of people you know, who are you know, athletes in his team who, are, who ran it this year and have run it in years past. So what kind of 
uh, knowledge did you go into the race with in terms of you know the challenges of this course and also the potential weather situation? So, you know, like we knew it was going to be extremely hilly. So we kind of planned for that in our workouts. You know, we had some uphill climbs for some of our tempo runs. Um, you know, we kind of varied the conditions of, of, you know, the terrain, whether it was on a track, whether it was on the backside of like uh, Lake Mary Road. Um, you know, we kind of mixed things up just to kind of get us ready for this. So I think that was the important part. But really, like we were realistic where it was, we knew the climb was going to be for four miles and a plunging downhill, then another climb, then another downhill, then kind of a, a little climb to the finish. But we were very well prepared in terms of like, okay, we knew what we were getting into, one. And two, we knew the course was going to be a suffer fest. And three, we knew it was going to be hilly in general. And when you ran it the day before, how closely did it mimic what you had visualized? It honestly, you know, like the first two miles, you climb actually more than you do combined than probably for mile three. So I would say like if like my first impression on the elevation chart compared to what it was to actually uh, run the course, I would say the course was more impressive itself. Pretty much like running those first four miles of the course, you're like essentially covering 400 feet uphill. So seeing that in person is, is extremely impressive and probably a bit more impressive than just looking at an elevation chart. And when you were going into the race from a strategic perspective, how much of the, your race strategy was pace dependent versus uh, keying off other people in the field? So, so yes. So you kind of touched on two sides there. One, we knew in years past, the first 5K always goes out in 15 minutes to 15.15. Just, you know, you're running uphill for the first 5K, right? Uh, but we also knew that if we were around that, like that pace, we were going to be with a top group. So as long as we put that effort in, we weren't really quite worried. And that's exactly what you did. You basically split, what was it, 1507 first 5K? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we realized that we were in the ballpark, you know, like, and like the idea was just to run really, really tough up through mile four and then kind of see what we can do on that downhill. Okay. And then when you got to that downhill, what did that first group look like? Like how big was it? And how, what, what, what was your feeling about your ability to stay right, right near the top? You know, it was good at the start. And then it's just like, there, there was about three other Americans that just took off and my legs just didn't quite respond. I mean, to give you some perspective, I ran a 426 mile down that hill. I mean, I think like I think a couple of Americans and a couple of the um international guys like they split a 410 to 416 like on that downhill. So I think you really got to be ready for that downhill. I think I was. I just think I wasn't expecting like anywhere in the 14s, you know, at mile 5. And were you more was it more of your legs not responding to that speed or were you worried about if I go with this group, I'm not going to have anything left? Um it was mostly, I just don't think I could have physically moved my legs any faster. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, like maybe like a little bit faster, but like it would have been a tall order to keep, you know, like even to finish the race. Um, so like I wanted to make sure that I put myself in a good position. So they basically had a 10 to 15 second gap on you at around the four or five mile mark. So when that, when that occurred, you know, you know, when I say them, I mean, I guess I mean like kind of the top Americans at that point, when, yeah. when you'd come off that hill and you're roughly halfway through the race at that point, what was your strategy in terms of trying to reel them in versus running your own race? Well, you know, it was, it was just, all right, you like, you got to pick one person off at a time, one person off at a time. Um, I ended up getting one person right before mile five and I found myself chasing a whole pack that was actually like they ended up being like a brink top 10 finish. Uh, so I was only maybe 10 seconds away from 10th place finisher, maybe, maybe like 14 seconds away from the ninth place finisher, but I was just trying to gain some ground, gain some ground. So just make little steps every mile just to see if I could catch the guy in front of me. And ultimately after, after the race and you basically had, which is wild considering the, the elevation change, you basically had three even splits for each 5K. When yeah. <laughs> you would finish up the race and you had some time to like catch your breath and reassess, what were your, what were your initial thoughts on 
on your performance, uh, not only uh, in terms of your time, but you know how you stacked up with some of the elites in the field, which I'm sure you compare yourself to um, sure. you know, as you progress through the year. Sure, sure. Yeah. You know, like I wasn't really disappointed. Like I wasn't really, really happy either. Like I thought it was an okay race, you know, and, and I was pretty happy for, for, you know, this being an okay race, you know, finishing like 13th at Boilermaker. Um, I kind of compared it to where I began my season last year in New Haven. You know, I ran 65 minutes for, a, for like a 20K. And I was just coming off a mile at the Brooklyn Mile. I just came off a mile when I ran it in Flagstaff last week. So very similar circumstances. So I'm really happy where I am right now, fitness-wise. I think I can grow a lot from it. Um, but do I think it was my best race? No. Like, do I think it was my worst? Absolutely not. I just think it was a good day. You know, I got the job done. Got it. So seems like it really isn't the kind of race that really changes anything from your training perspective. No, no. You know, this is just this is just like kind of a benchmark on my pulse right here. You know, this is just like where am I and 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 I'm in a good spot, you know? I I mean, racing with those guys is a treat. It's a pleasure. It's it's very very cool. I, I like I enjoy it thoroughly. And like for me, this was just a good day and and it was just okay, well, I know where I am. I know where I want to be and I like I know where I need to get to. All right. So what does the week after a race like this look like for you? Oh, it's really, really easy. I mean, I took the morning off, which was great. Like I got to sleep in. Yeah. And the race happened yes. yesterday. So now so this is yes. the day after the uh, day after race day. Yeah. 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 So I got to sleep in, grabbed some coffee, made some pancakes. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I have probably six to eight miles this afternoon. I have eight to 10 tomorrow. Have kind of a like a mini fartlek workout on Wednesday and then one workout this weekend that's pretty low key. So, uh the idea of the week is just to recover, you know, make sure that we're ready to do more work the following week. That's awesome. All right, John, thanks for hopping on the call doing the quick update. Now we're just going to head into uh the conversation that we had recorded uh 2 weeks ago that kind of dives into not only your current fitness, which we obviously touched touched on, but you know of your your recent past and your running history so thank again thanks for hopping on and thanks for doing this hey thanks matt i appreciate it thanks for having me on hey john and welcome to the show hey matt um thanks for having me my pleasure i'm so glad that you're part of this project i uh i've been as you know been following you for a while we have a lot of sure, mutual friends sure. so i'm excited to for uh, you know excited for you to be part of this yeah, well, again, um, thanks for having me, and this is an awesome opportunity, and uh, yeah, um, I certainly appreciate it. Well, one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on um, is just like, the, the fact, just the, taking a look at what's going on with you just this year, it really paints a really interesting picture of not only your capabilities, but just some of like the frustrations that you've had in the past. So let's just walk us through what's going on in 2019 generally before we kind of dive in. Yeah, yeah. Uh yeah, sure. Like so like do you want a background more of like beginning of two thousand eighteen or like late two thousand eighteen and then early two thousand nineteen or just you know, just kind yeah, of like that whole that season. whole season. Cause I think it really as you you kind of bring up there, it, it it really does tie into each other. Yeah, 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 sure. So um, you know, like two thousand eighteen, the beginning of it was was like I guess kind of a rough year for me. Uh I, I, I wasn't really sure where I was fitness wise. Um I was hopping um into races that that, you know, uh, like, I think those are my own decisions too, that, that were maybe not the best races for me at the time. Um, and I didn't really have a vision of where I wanted to be. Um, you know, and it was kind of all coming together. And then, uh, in late May, uh, my, uh, grandfather passed. Um, so that for me was, was pretty big. And, and I took about a month off from running. Um, I started to get back into it in about, uh, June, 2019, uh, I started doing workouts in July of 2019 and I wasn't really racing then. I was just like kind of coaching myself, like seeing what I can do. Um, you know, like I've been, um, coaching for, uh, James for about, I would say like a year and a half at that point. So I was like, okay, like, let me see what I can do for myself. You know, like, let me see how like I could help my progression. Um, I didn't really help my progression at all. I think I probably like maybe degressed in that time period. Um, so, you know, 
I guess come like uh, uh, late uh, July, um, you know, I'm having a conversation with James and, 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 this, and this, is thinking, this is James McCurdy. This is James McCurdy from McCurdy yes, Train. Yes. Okay. Yes. And, and I'm like, you, you know, you know, man, I like, I really think you would be, a, a, you know, like, I really think that you would be uh, a good coach for me. And, uh, and we both kind of agreed and we both kind of went from there. So that transition period for me was, uh, was actually kind of interesting because I was more so focusing on a lot of speed work, um, a lot of 200s, 400s, just, just like kind of like short based intervals. Um, you know, just like, just cause I was getting kind of bored with my training beforehand. Uh, and, and kind of like James introduced me to more race, like specific workouts, like half marathon workouts, uh, marathon workouts. We were like, we were even doing like maybe like some 10 K work, like things that I would give my athletes that I really never gave myself. Now at that time, did you have any goals related to the kinds of races that you really wanted to do well in? You know, I didn't have any goals, honestly. Uh, like I didn't really know where I wanted to go with running. Um, you know, like I knew that if I worked hard, I could be like pretty decent at it, but I didn't have any grand goals or grand visions at the time. It was just like, I just kind of wanted to reset and just, you know, kind of go a new direction from that point. Interesting. So when you guys, when you and James started up and he started kind of giving you more, you know, more, you no know, longer stuff. And as you put it, more race specific stuff at that point, did you start addressing like what races you wanted to run and target for the rest of 2018? Yes, yes, yes. So our second phone call in, uh, like we talked about, okay, like what should our goal race be for the fall? And I was kind of, you know, just like doing a bit of research and, and I kind of spotted like the Columbus half marathon. I'm like, oh, like this looks pretty good. You know, like the times were like pretty quick. They were all around 104 low. Um, I wanted to qualify for the trials again. So I'm like, you know, let's give this a shot. So we both agreed that it was a good fit. And then from there, um, we kind of figured out what races made sense along the way. Um, so I always did, did like the New Haven 20K or like uh, the uh, 20K champs. And like that for me was always kind of a staple race in the fall. So we figured like, okay, like that made sense for the time. Um, and then Cal Harbor, I did the year before and I thought, okay, like this also makes sense. And then we didn't really have anything leading up in October to Columbus because Columbus was on the 17th. Uh, but we figured that was good enough just for our goal race right there. Now, in the past, had you spent that amount of dedicated time getting ready for a specific race or was your race selection a little bit more scattershot? I think it was a little bit more scattered shot. And I think it was just because I didn't quite have a vision of where I wanted to be, or I didn't have like quite a vision of the long term. Um, you know, it was, it was very short term for me. Um, you know, maybe I could go out and make like a quick bucket a race or something. And every time I had like that motive or, or like that idea, it, it would always backfire on me, you know, uh, for kind of which other way, or maybe I was just putting more pressure on myself than I had to at the time. So it is really interesting that you mentioned that. All right. So as you're getting ready for Columbus, how quickly into your kind of new training regimen did you start seeing results? Uh, I think Cal Harbor was the best indicator. Um, like that was probably like six weeks working with James and I finished, I, like, I think I finished seventh there and I was 29.58. So that was a really good race and that's a pretty good time on a hard course. Um, and we were still doing like, very challenging workouts. We like, we weren't bringing down the mileage and like, I felt like I was competitive, uh, with everyone in that field. Um, I remember going into that race and kind of talking with James about it and being like, Hey, like, I, I really want to give this a go. Maybe go for the win at it. You know, I mean, maybe if I look at it in hindsight, it's a little bit naive because there were some really good names in that field. Um, but you know, like I took the lead on the big hill at about two miles and three miles I was leading at the 5k. Um, you know, I kind of paid for it at the end, I guess, cause I did kind of drop back, but I had a really strong finish. And I think that race was a really good indicator kind of, you know, for the half marathon and just the other races to come after that. And when you had had really good races in the past, like this one was for you, what did you typically use them as a springboard for future success? Or would you kind of use as like, Oh, I did well. And now I can kind of relax for a um, probably a mix of both, I would say. 
you know, because it's it's you know like it's hard to gauge your goals if you if you like don't have any long term goals. Like, not that I didn't have any long term goals, but you know, you do need bridges and you do need stepping stones to eventually reach those goals. That's a great way of putting it. All right, so after Cal Harbor, um, what did that do for you, just from a confidence perspective, getting ready uh, for the rest of your your tune up races uh, leading into the fall? Well, I was racing with really good guys, so it was like, okay, like I I could be there, like you know, like I could beat these guys, you know. I was I was being competitive with uh, guys that were Olympians, like guys that were top ten at the trials. Um, so for me, that said, okay, this is like the proof is in the pudding. Like I'm here, I'm only going to get fitter, and I'm only going to get stronger. And you were living in Connecticut at this time, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So I was I was based in the Northeast for about three years after college. Right. Right. Yeah. So for you, you were a Connecticut guys. You're living in Connecticut. So the New Haven 20K chance was like the, the hometown race for you. Oh, yeah. It was like an hour away. Really? Yeah. Like really like at the most. I mean, even Cal Harbor, it was in Northport, Long Island. And, and that was an hour and a half away. Yeah. You can just hop on like the, the uh, like the Port Jeff Ferry. You're just like right <laughs> over there. Yeah. 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 Um. You know, unfortunately, like I drove, which was the bad choice. But. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> this, this is like this. This is just two New Englanders talking right now. Like anyone who's listening to this is from the rest of the country. They're like, what are these guys talking about? But yeah, it's like that's that's what you always have to pay for. It's like, do you do you drive through the Bronx on the way to Long Island? Or do you take the ferry? Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, the Bronx wasn't even that bad. It was the Long Island Expressway. <laughs> got it. Got it. All right. So let's go. Let's dive into it. All right. So you're you're getting ready for, for Columbus. What were some of the key training uh training workouts for you getting ready for that race both positively and if you had some some weeks or some moments where all of a sudden your confidence was shaken a little bit uh well it's funny that that you know you say that because like i'm not feeling confident all the time you know um like i'm feeling confident most of the time but there are some days that are just bad days right and you just need to roll with the punches and just kind of go on and trust in the body of work that you put in i think that's super important no matter what training cycle you're in, what you're training for, what your goals are, you know, like that to me, just having faith in your training and having faith in your coach and faith in your vision, I think is huge. Absolutely. And, and as a coach, you know that you coach a lot of athletes from McCurdy trained. Yes. Now, yes, have yes, you been able to live that mantra as easily as you've been able to espouse it to others? It's been harder to live that mantra. Yeah. Um, I always say like easier said than done. You know, you, you can always tell someone, all right, like you're good, like you're in a good spot. But, but, you know, like they really have to believe it. Otherwise it's not getting done, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So fast forward to Columbus, you're getting ready for this race. It's the week before. What are James and you talking about regarding goals and strategy going into that race? Well, we had some really good workouts leading up to that. Like we had like 10 miles on a pretty rolling course on a humid day in, in like 4950. And, and that felt very controlled. We had like 15 by kilometer. We've had some really, like we had some really big sessions leading up to that race and our mileage was high. Our volume was there. Like, you know, like we knew we were going to do something special. It was just like, how fast were we going to run? So the initial conversation we had about Columbus was, all right, I think we can go 103.45. Um, I think we both thought the course was a little bit flatter, you know, like than it was, but it was, it was actually quite a hilly course in general. Um, so that was kind of our initial thought. Okay. Like 103.45, like how close can we get to that? You know, like we knew if we did what we were supposed to do that, that we would qualify for the trials, like no question. It was just how close can we get to that magic number? So for us, I think it was just going into it, just being really strong, being brave, executing, and just doing what we're supposed to do. And going into that, were you just simply number focused or did you also take into account the other people in the race and try to figure out how high in the race you'd be able to get so historically the race is is always one in like 104 low or 103 high so we knew if we were in that position where we were running 10345 uh like we would be in contention to win the thing uh like that day however uh some guy named uh James uh Nandu decided to show up um and He's a good dude. He's a really good competitor. I've raced him a couple of times, uh, but he's clearly very good. Like he finished fifth at Boilermaker the year before, you know, like he's like a one-on-one guy from Houston. Uh, so it was nice to have him in the race and we were kind of pushing off of each other. 
Uh, but our intentions were to win it or, or, you know, come in top three at that moment. This episode is sponsored by Aftershocks, the award-winning headphone brand best known for its ear-opening listening experience. Powered by patented best-in-class bone conduction technology, Aftershocks headphones sit outside your ear so you can hear your music and your surroundings at the same time. Aftershocks is a must-have headphone for runners, providing them with the ultimate level of safety and comfort without compromising quality. Not only runners, but bicyclists as well. I can't say that enough. It's so important for cyclists to hear what's going on around them, even more so than runners. And this is a huge thing for them as well. So learn more and save $50 on Aftershocks Endurance Bundles by visiting olympictrials.aftershocks.com. That's olympictrials.aftershocks.com. Calm. In addition, let me just say, six-hour battery life on these things. I love wireless headphones, but the pain in the butt about them often is their battery life. I don't like having to charge them every single night, and you don't have to do that with Aftershocks. So give them a shot, olympictrials.aftershocks.com, and use code R-T-T-O-T at checkout. That's RUN, I'm sorry, ROAD to the Olympic Trials acronym, R-T-T-O-T at checkout. So how did the race play out in regards to feeding off of him and some of the other runners versus you trying to maintain that pace to get under 104? So it, so it was funny because I remember, and, and as, as like I recall, uh, like Nandu came into the picture at mile five, right? So like our job was just the time trial, right? We were just like, okay, like if we time trial, do our job, we're going to be in contention to win or get top three. So you know, we knew the first couple miles were, were, you know, pretty hilly. So it was somewhere around five flat and it went to 455. Then we started kind of cranking off like 445s, uh, a couple 440 lows. And then I remember at mile six, uh, Nandu came up on my shoulder and, and I see him. I'm like, all right, like, let's do this thing. So we're kind of working together for the next maybe five miles. And, and at that point, like I'm kind of straining. The course is getting a bit hilly. Um, it's the later stages of the race. I've never been in the situation before in a half marathon where I'm either winning the thing or like I'm going to win the thing or I'm in contention to win. So that was like brand new territory for me, like brand new. Like I was, I was like, I wasn't overwhelmed by it by any means, but, but you know, like I had no experience in that department. Now, do you feel like that situation helped you run faster because you were able to focus on kind of external things? Or do you feel like that, that kind of raised the pressure on you and kind of hurt you? You know, like I think it did both. It raised the pressure, one, because there's another really good guy running with you and you want to win this damn thing. And, uh, and you know, like you want to beat him. So you are putting a little bit of pressure on yourself. But I think that pressure is a twofold thing. It's like an opportunity. It's like, okay, like this guy's giving me the opportunity to beat him, you know? Um, but like, I mean, like, I think it also motivated me as well, too. It's like, like I'm meant for this moment. You know, like I'm here, you know, like I want to finish high. You know, like those things have always been ingrained in me. So I feel like both it was a new moment, but then at the same time, it was, you know, like I was very used to it at the same time. All right. So let's talk about the last mile or so as you're coming down to the finish. How aware of time were you coming down the stretch? Oh, I was pretty aware of it at that point. I was like, I just need to do what I am doing right now. I need to stand two feet and I need to finish. Um, Nandu had a little bit more in the tank than I did that day. So like he kind of pulled away with like two kilometers left. I just finished strong and, and I knew I was just like, okay, like let's take it one minute at a time. Every minute, just get a little bit faster, get a little bit faster, get a little bit faster. And I found myself with a 400 meters left and I was just like sprinting to the line and, and, and I saw, you know, like the clock, it read like, you know, like 103.30 and I was just running as hard as I could. So it was, it was like a really good feeling, uh, just kind of affirming my training, you know, affirming my fitness and, you know, kind of being in a position I've never been before. And so you get the, you get the Olympic trials qualifier on that day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Obviously you, you, you ran very close to what your projected goal was, which is also a huge thing. What was the, what was the feeling after the race? You kind of got you know, two birds with one stone there and you were able to really run the race that you were hoping to. And you'd spent so many months getting ready for. Oh man, it was pure elation. I was so happy. Uh, I, I was, I was in tears, honestly. Um, it was, it was just a really good moment for me. Um, just. Just like kind of like what 
like what kind of happened like previously in the year and kind of how I was dealing with that. And then, and just kind of being up in the air about my running, it was like, it was a really special moment for me for sure. And once you'd had that OTQ in your pocket, what did that, what did that do for you in regards to your future plans in terms of, you know, preparing for Atlanta and trying to set out a future schedule regarding not only just, you know, your races, but how you wanted to get yourself ready um, for the marathon distance, which is something that, you know, you really haven't embraced with two arms, right? You kind of stuck to the lower, the lower, um, the lower mile races and you know, with your, your marathon PR of 218, which was, you know, you set sure. four years ago, um, you know, that really hasn't been something that you've really embraced. What did you view um, the, mar- how did you view the marathon? I should say once you kind of come down from the high of Columbus. Yeah. So that was kind of like, okay, like let's kind of reevaluate where we are. So we still had a little bit of the season left. Uh, so I planned the Abbott to the dash 5k and that was on New York city marathon weekend. And then I had, uh, uh, the Manchester road race as well too. So those were two races left kind of in the season. And, and then we threw like, like just the Philadelphia AK in for kicks just to see how fast we could run, you know, just like coming five days off of that and doing Manchester. So we were like, okay, so how do we dial down from here? Right? Like, how do we kind of take advantage of your speed? So we competed really, really well at, at the Abbott to the dash, you know, uh, like I remember closing in a 420 there being like, wow, like that was amazing. You know, just like I, like I crossed the tape, like, you know, I, I was, I was like the first guy in my respective field, not in the championship, but just in the Abbott to the dash. Uh, so, you know, those two races back to back, kind of like, it was hard to come off of them and, and kind of stay grounded. Um, so I think that was a challenge for me more so. Um, but once kind of the season ended, it was just like, okay, the pressure's off. We don't have to get another half marathon time. You know, we just have to really kind of focus on our next goal. And that was Boston itself. Got it. And why Boston? So for me, Boston's always a race I've, I've like wanted to do. Um, you know, and, and it was supposed to be a great field and, and it was a fantastic field. It ended up being a great field. So for me, it was a no brainer. It was in my neck of the woods, you know, like it's a world major, um, like that's exciting. Like it's an exciting stage to be on and, and just being able to maybe be in the position for top 15 there. I think like, I think that was my intention right there. Right. And then you say is in your neck of the woods, but during this time, you've also moved to Flagstaff. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, you know, like I'll always be like New England born, like New England bred, but like, Oh yeah. And we'll, and we'll claim you, John. Uh, Don't worry. We got you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so, but, but you know, like it's far from my neck of the woods right now in Flagstaff for sure. Yeah. So what was it, what was your thinking about moving full time to Flagstaff versus just doing like the seasonal trip out there that a lot of people end up doing when they do their, their high elevation training? So, you know, really it was just about, you know, just having my coach there, having the support, you know, being in an environment that's conducive to running, um, you know, having the support of the community around me, you know, just, you know, having people to run with on a daily basis, uh, that like, that was kind of the alert to me. Um, like I've been to Flagstaff before and I lived here for like a five or six month stint and I loved it, you know, um, like it just kind of worked out to where Boston was coming up. I would have bottle support. I would have coaching support. You know, I, I I would just, you know, like kind of be with more, I guess, like runner friends more so, you know, just, just like being able to be a part of the community. Like, I, I think that really paid, like paid a lot of dividends in my training. Yeah, absolutely. And when you were getting ready for Boston, what were some of the things that you and James identified as things that you needed to improve in to excel at the marathon distance? Uh, so like we certainly had to work on our marathon endurance that was 100%. Um, that's still super raw for me. So like those like few, few like workouts that we like first did, like those were tough. Um, it's just something I wasn't really used to. Like, uh, I, I just like never focused on them a whole lot consistently. Um, so for me, uh, like that was big, just getting used to the marathon specificity and maybe just improving like my strength aspect. Um, we knew that the power was there, you know, like I'm very, like, I'm very strong over like, like anywhere from 3k to, to like, to, you know, maybe a half marathon. So like, I think we just had to improve on the pure like endurance aspect and just like marathon specific work itself. 
So you kind of, not only did you have to improve on that, that area of your running, but you're doing so in Flagstaff, you know, which is 7,000 feet elevation. So what were some of those early workouts like, um, you know, working on marathon pace or around marathon pace, but doing so at 7,000 feet? Well, like it was like quite difficult, uh, you know, um, like 7,000 feet is not easy to run at and I'm still a newbie at it really. Um, so we had to adjust. So we were probably, you know, anywhere from 13 to 17 seconds, uh, off per mile, you know, like as opposed to where we would be at sea level. Uh, like that was big for us just adjusting and making sure that we were at marathon effort as opposed to, okay, are, are you going marathon pace and not at marathon effort? Or is this the intention we're looking for during this day? Right, right. And how is that for you trying to come to grips with some of those paces that you saw? Were you able to quickly adjust to like, all right, hey man, I'm at elevation. This is just how it works. Or were you a little frustrated when you see some of those mile splits? You know, I, you know, I was never frustrated. It was always a learning process for me and it still is. Um, you know, I, you know, I, I get down on myself for a little bit, but you know, I knew if I had a workout that, that I really had to adjust in, then I had to adjust. And that was just what had to happen for that day. Um, you know, I, di I didn't really think about, oh, like I had to hit a certain time or like I had to be within, you know, these numbers, you know, you know, like, let's just say it was a windy day on Lake Mary, you know, and, and it, you know, and it was, it was like a 20 mile per hour headwind. Uh, like it was, you know, like hot, uh, you know, you kind of couple the fact that you're at 7,000 feet. Um, that takes a toll on, on, you know, like any run, you know, especially something at marathon intensity, which is pretty intense. Um, so if you think about it, you know, like that could be 20, 25 seconds, uh, you know, like a mile. Uh, but like your brain wants to say, okay, like it's 15 seconds a mile, but you know, like kind of like some days you just had to do what you had to do just to get the job done. Absolutely. So you were, you were working really hard. I remember watching your training from afar and you and James were obviously very pleased with how it was going. And then in March of this past year, you ran the New York city half, which I mean, I don't want to speak for you, but that must've been like the running highlight of your career. Oh yeah, that, that 100% had to be, I was, I was running with guys that I had no business running with, uh, you know, a year back, even a half a year back, you know, it, like that for me being in the final stages of the race and, and being, like being like, okay, like I'm here, like I'm ready to go. Like I'm ready to kick ass. I'm ready to take names. I'm, I'm ready to run fast. Like, and that was my attitude going into it. Uh, I, I didn't think anybody, you know, was, was, you know, pretty much like untouchable. I, 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 you know, I really thought everybody was beatable in that race. I mean, obviously there's a select few that, you know, that, that are, you know, very hard to beat at, you know, like on like any other day. Uh, but for the most part, I was very, very like, um, confident, um, going into that race. And, and, and I could say that was for sure the highlight of my career. Absolutely. So you run 102.51 in that race, finished ninth in, a, as you said, and which is absolutely true, a stacked field. So you come in, Mm -hmm. Uh, with the same time as Tim Ritchie, who obviously is, you know, all, I mean, all of these guys are studs. I'm going to have to listen, list a bunch of studs. So you come in with the, the same time as Tim Ritchie. You beat Parker Stinson, who's actually part of this project as well. You beat mm -hmm. Ben True, Abdi Amdurahman, Seth Totten, Cam Levins, Brandon Gregg, just like, you know, a who's who of runners. Um, and you're right there with other guys who were just in front of you. Again, a who's who of runners. You mentioned that you went into that race with a ton of confidence. What about your training in the preceding two months led you to believe that when you stepped up with those guys and you were running, you know, the finishing, you know, the finishing few miles of that race, when you look around, you know, everybody in that group and you know, all of their backgrounds, you know, how talented they all are as well. Sure. What led, what, what happened in the preceding six weeks that led you to feel so confident? Um, at that stage of the race. So we had a really good string of workouts. I mean, like, I'm not going to lie, you know, like, like, I mean, like we had some barn burners here. So it was, it was like, everything was like really clicking in training. You know, we were in a good zone. Uh, I, I was in a really good place. Um, and, and for me, it was like, I, I, I've been there for a while. I just don't think I realized it. And I don't think I've, you know, I mean, like, I, like, I don't think I took advantage of it before. And, and, and for me, it was just an affirmation of like, okay, like I'm here, like I'm ready to go, like I'm ready to take names. Um, and it really wasn't any one, you know, like workout per se. I think it was more just 
the feeling of being fit, you know, the feeling of purely enjoying running, the feeling of, of, of just being in a good spot in your life. I, I think that was more so, uh, just like the crux of, of kind of what I was experiencing at that time. So when you were running at UNC and we spoke about this, uh, a couple of weeks ago, when we were just touching base about various things. You mentioned that you were, you know, an average runner at UNC, an average runner in college, which obviously if you're average at UNC, you're really good compared to most people. But, you know, you, you felt like you had, you know, left a little bit on the table there. And when you were projecting forward into what the rest of your running career could look like, is this the kind of result that you were hoping for? Well, you, you know, like, I mean, like, it is kind of funny because like, I think I said this to you too. I, I, I try not to compare myself to where I was in college just because it was a whole different ball game. You know, like it, it, it was, it was just a whole another scenario for me. Right. Cause you're doing something for a team and you're not exactly peaking at the periods where, where, you know, are really beneficial for you, but beneficial for the team because you're doing it for the team. Um, so I think that was like, I guess kind of a big factor in that. And, and I think in college, I didn't have the confidence that, like that I do now. Um, so, you know, to answer your question more directly, like, I don't think I really projected myself to be here after college, you know, um, I knew I wanted to run. I just didn't think I would be at this level. And when you talk to runners who have gone through a similar kind of experience, uh, that you had in college, what are some of the things that you emphasize to them if they're looking to kind of get to that next level that they think is in there? Um, well, I would say, you know, just don't put so much pressure on yourself. Um, you know, like don't make running, uh, you know, like an activity that, 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 you know, like is more so like on a pedestal. Um, you know, like it's just running at the end of the day. You know, I mean, like I'm still going to be John if I have a bad race. Um, I, I, like, I certainly, uh, like feel that I have improved just because, um, I've kind of chilled out and I really haven't, you know, thought about running as, 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 you know, something that I had to do or something that I had to perform in. I just had the opportunity to perform and, and I just have a lot of fun with it. Yeah. And obviously it's worked well for you once you made that shift, but it's so counterintuitive. Once you like put less eggs in that basket and end up working out better for you, which is not exactly what people would assume. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would 100% agree that it is counterintuitive. Um, you know, and, and there's many different approaches to the sport. I, like, I know people that, that, you know, like deal with pressure much, much differently than I do. Um, but for myself, uh, you know, in terms of, of, you know, how I viewed running, I, I viewed it as like a do or die situation, you know, previously where it was like, if I didn't hit this time or if I didn't place a certain way, then, you know, um, you know, like that, it was a failure. And, and like that for me, it was, you know, it was either I did really well and I had a positive connotation or I did badly. And, and it, and it was just really like a negative experience. Um, you know, so to fully embrace just the positivity of running, like for me, like it's helped by kind of, uh, backing off, taking a step back and just making sure that I'm enjoying, you know, the sport I'm enjoying life. Um, you know, like I'm enjoying good friends. I'm enjoying good company. And I think that for me, that just, just like having that positive attitude about the sport and about life really, like really has changed, like the way that I like kind of view, like my, uh, my, uh, uh, performances, um, and, and just kind of my whole running perspective in general. Right. And it's one of those things like we talked about earlier that it's, it's easy to have that kind of mindset when things are going well. Right. So like coming off New York City, half marathon you killed it you really like put yourself in rarefied air in terms of american running scene and then you know shoot like you know six weeks later you're in boston and you have the exact opposite experience what what was that like for you kind of going from one extreme to the other you you know honestly that that was devastating uh you know like i knew you know whatever happened on that day was was out of my control um but you know, like it was hard for me to come to terms at first with like, with, with, you know, you know, like it, it, it just being 10 miles of marathon, you know, for me, like at the end of the day, it was not really highlighting that as a failure. It was just like, well, it was just a missed opportunity. And, you know, more so for me, it was something out of my control. So it, 
you know, it took me a while just to kind of like play mental gymnastics even to get to that point. Uh, but really what was so great about kind of coming off of Boston, uh, was having just so much, you know, support from my family, uh, so much like support from my coach, uh, you know, just knowing that, that, you know, like I am really fit, you know, that running isn't everything in my life. Um, and, and people have bad days and, and really that encapsulated like, okay, well, it's, then it's not a big deal. Uh, and like, I can move on from this. So what were your expectations going into the race a couple of days beforehand? You know, to be honest, we, we were like, we were really thinking big. We were thinking, okay, like, let's go for that, you know, two eleven, you know, like 30 standard. Um, you know, like at the time that, that, that was very realistic to where we were, you know, like the other shot was okay. Maybe, you know, like maybe like top 15. Cause if we were to be in that position, you know, like we would have to run that fast. Uh, but a personal expectation for myself was just not having any expectations, just going into it as, as a, I'm going to do the best I can on this day. And then what exactly happened to you? Uh, so something just reacted badly when I was fueling, uh, like I got a few, like I got some really bad stomach cramps and just, um, you know, like I dropped from like a 503 mile to, to, you know, like a 640 mile then to another seven minute mile. So, um, after those two splits, the day was shot for me. The intention of the day was, was kind of, was just more so out of the picture. Oh my gosh. What a bummer. So did you, did you, ha did you eat something new? Like what, what precipitated this? Was it anything that you could have like, say you could like jump in a time machine and go back to that weekend that you could have changed? You know, I, I think it was just a bad day, you know? Um, you know, I mean, maybe like, you know, I mean, like maybe my stomach was off. Maybe like maybe there were some other factors rolling into it, but I, I would not trade any of my preparation in the world. Uh, you know, for anything, um, leading up to that race. Um, like, I think it was just, just really bad timing, honestly. Um, you know, and, you know, for us, that was it. And then, and then we just like kind of got over it and then kind of moved on, you know, to where we were setting our visions next. Now, obviously post marathon, you know, you have a certain, you know, certain guidelines that you want to follow to make sure you're rested and ready to go into your next cycle. What did it look like for you? After this race, considering that it really just turned out to be kind of like a, like a good training run from a, from a effort perspective. But obviously yeah. you're also at like the yeah. your peak fitness at the same time. Like, how do you judge what to do next? So we had two options. Uh, I talked with James and, and we thought, okay, we could just call the season right here or we can maybe shoot for another marathon in like a month to six weeks. Um, we knew grandma's was out of the question. That just would have been way too far. Uh, just considering where we were and, and, you know, our stages leading up to Boston, I don't think we could have extended our fitness that much farther. Um, but, you know, James looked at like the Toronto marathon. I was like, Hey, like this is a really, really, really good opportunity. Um, so I'm like, okay, like why not? Like let's do it. Like we're in good shape. You know, we don't need to do anything crazy leading up to, you know, like Toronto. Uh, we just need to keep the mileage fairly high and just, just like kind of do a mini peak again. And then, you know, just kind of see where the chips may fall. Um, but you know, as we soon found out, it was, we, we were like, we were kind of overextending ourselves. Like I, I went into a workout and I just was like, man, I'm, I'm just not feeling myself. And, and you know, like I was like 10 or 12 seconds off, uh, you know, like the effort I was supposed to be at, but I felt like I was giving that effort. So. Um, the idea of Toronto is nice, but eventually two weeks in, we're just like, this is a bad idea. We should just stop right now, take a break and kind of just, you know, like see what we want to do for the summer and the fall. Got it. So was it, were there any factors that you need to address like with like blood work or things like that? Or was it just, Hey, you've been training hard for a long time and your body just needed to recover. So, uh, we talked to the folks at hypo too. Uh, they're awesome. Uh, so. Um, I got my blood tested. Uh, that was the second time I got it tested in, in 2019. I got it tested right before New York and we kind of saw the standard of, of like where it was. Uh, my levels weren't too far off. So it wasn't anything blood related. Uh, what we came to terms with, it was just, we were overreaching. And I think in hindsight, that's easier to see. Absolutely. So here we are, right? Beginning of the summer, 
you're, you, you, you took some time off, um, after that period of time, what does the next nine to 10 months look like for you, uh, regarding, uh, racing heading into Atlanta? So, um, I'm like, I'm super excited. I'm going to be racing some distances that I haven't raced in like a couple years. Um, like I had technically like my season opener when I went down to Tucson and I did a mile 5k double, um, you know, in like the Tucson heat. And that was on June 1st. So that was fun. That was just like a rust buster, really just no expectations, just going out there running fast in the mile and having a decent 5k. Um, so that was my first race of the season. And then we're currently gauging ourselves for Boilermaker. Um, so we're going to take a crack at the top 10 there, top three American at Boilermaker. Um, and then, uh, we're going to be racing Falmouth. That's going to be next on our list. And then, uh, the New Haven 20 K of course. So, um, I definitely want to go back down, uh, down to uh, New Haven for sure. Um, mostly just because John Tolbert's such a great guy. Like I love him. Like he's the elite director there and like, he just does such a fantastic job. Um, and kind of past that, uh, we're like, we're just kind of thinking about a fall marathon and we're not quite sure yet. Right. So his now at this point, you will have gone what, four and a half years with running like, you know, a marathon that you really felt good about. So what are some of the factors that you and James will consider when choosing that fall marathon? Well, we don't want it to be, you know, too close to the trials, um, you know, like per se, uh, you know, we're like, we're obviously thinking about the standard that's still in our purview. Um, but we also have to be realistic about where our, like, like kind of like where our fitness is leading into the season. Um, so I think it's really going to be a last minute decision for us because we're not quite sure where we want to be, but we know the summer is going to be a great tool to kind of increase our speed, increase our power make sure we have a lot of strength over the half marathon. Um, and then maybe do a bit of a short, like maybe do like a bit of a shorter buildup towards a marathon in the fall. Um, but we're kind of, you know, like still discussing, uh, like what we really want to do. Absolutely. Well, I'd be glad to get you back into new England, John, for, uh, for Falmouth in the new Haven 20 K. Hopefully next time we do this, we can do it in person. It's always such a good time yes, chatting with yes. you. Thanks for coming on and good luck the rest of the summer. Not a problem, Matt. Yeah. Um, thank you for having me. And it's been a real pleasure, you know, listening to your podcast and, and actually being on it. So thanks again. Thank you, John, for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And thank you to everybody for listening, for rating, for reviewing the podcast and for sharing it. This thing really shot up the Apple Podcast rankings. It actually peaked at 32 during the first week, I think, because of the algorithm and all the new subscribers. But with that said, thank you so much for sharing the show. I really appreciate it. Also, big shout out to Aftershocks for sponsoring the podcast. They have a big announcement coming on July 23rd. So keep your eyes peeled for that or ears peeled, I should say, since you're going to be, you know, potentially listening to their headphones. Uh, I hope you do because they really put out a really good product. Thank you so much for listening. Like I said, and happy running. This has been a production of the Rambling Runner Podcast Network. Thank you to my producer, David Margetti from InPost Media. Also, thank you to Metapi for the music and his song, Evolution.